Hello and welcome to another edition of Todd Talks Bible. This engaging discipleship-based Bible study is sponsored by Church Discipleship Ministries. And our teacher is Todd Tolles, the founder and director of CDM. A career firefighter captain before entering the ministry, Todd founded Church Discipleship Ministries to equip and empower believers to fulfill your calling to be a spiritual warrior dedicated to fulfilling the Great Commission. Let's listen in now as Todd Talks Bible. Currently, this is our second session in the book of Revelation, a study I like to call Dreams or Nightmares, a study of the end of the age. And today we are getting into Revelation chapter 1. So let's dive in, okay, and get started. Revelation chapter 1. This is a revelation from Jesus Christ. Now let's pause right there and talk about this. First of all, we need to start realizing what the correct title of this book is. It's Revelation, singular, not plural, not revelations. It is one revelation, revelation of Jesus Christ. Now, this word revelation comes from a Greek word called apocalypsis. Apocalypsis It's where we get our word apocalypse from. Now, before you start jumping in there and think the word apocalypse means something bad, it doesn't. Let's talk a little bit here, and let's start learning some vocabulary, because we're going to have to stick to what the words are in the Bible. You know well as I do, lots of words change in our society over a period of time. There's many words that we can't use today that that was quite common to use a hundred years ago. Well, the same thing happened to the word apocalypse. Nowadays in American society, when we talk about apocalypse, we talk about some kind of disaster or horrible event, kind of like the uh, zombie apocalypse, When if you're a big fan of zombie movies like I am. And we may have joked around using that term, but that's really not what the word means. The word apocalypse literally means to reveal something. That's right, to reveal something, to have a divine revelation about something. So that's where we get the word revelation. So this book is designed to reveal to us some things. Now let's talk about some more about this revealing. This word apocalypse, some theologians have confused it with saying, Apocalypse is a type of metaphor, and it's talking about bad things, and it's a apocalyptic language used in this book, so God can keep things secret. Well, that's silly. Again, the word means to reveal. God is trying to reveal what's happening. Now, remember how I said prophecy is veiled at our last session? And as we get closer to the timing of those events, the curtain or that veil will lift up more and more, and we can understand more and more what God's trying to tell us in these prophecies? Well, that's true. This is still veiled. A lot of this has not happened yet, but it is a revealing. It is so when these events start happening, happening, people can read the Bible and see what's going on, and it will start being revealed to them. Now, so keep that in mind. God's not trying to confuse us by using uh, secret language. There's no code in here. These are visions that John really saw. He literally saw these visions. 
And if we don't understand what some of these visions mean, it's because God is still keeping that veiled so that we don't use it to control our future. But overall, this is an apocalypse and an attempt by God to reveal to us certain things. Now, what things is God trying to reveal to us? Well, let's get down to Revelation chapter 1, down to verse 19. Write down what you have seen, both the things that are now happening and the things that will happen later. So he's talking about three things here. Jesus is telling John to write down three things. The things that he has seen, and we'll go over that in a second. And the next thing, both the things that are happening now, during John's lifetime, and the things in the future. So John was supposed to write down what he saw right here in chapter 1. Chapter 2 on, he was supposed to be talking about what's going on. And then later on in the book, he was supposed to be talking about and writing down what's going to happen after those things, what's going to happen in the future. And many people use those three markers to divide the book, to outline the book that way. And that's a great way of doing it. Now, I have a little bit of a different outline that I want to teach you here real quick because it will help keep it in your mind. This outline will keep it in mind and keep it in focus. The first thing we need to learn is that the beginning is the end. The beginning is the end. What am I talking about? Well, the beginning of this book, the beginning of the Revelation, is talking about the end of the age. Now, we'll explain that later, but right now, just remember this phrase. The beginning is the end, and that starts in chapter 1, verse 1, and goes through chapter 8, verse 1. All right, now, the second part of the book, the middle part, is this. The middle is the day. The middle is the day. What day am I talking about? Well, the day of the Lord, and we'll explain that when we get there. But the day of the Lord was an Old Testament prophecy that was carried all the way through the prophetic books of the Old Testament and is being culminated in the book of Revelation. So the middle is the day, and that's chapters 8, verse 2, starting at 8, verse 2, and going all the way through chapter 19. The final part of our outline is the ending is the beginning. The ending is the beginning, and that's chapters 20 through 22. Now, what am I talking about that? Well, the ending of the Bible book, Revelation, the ending of this book, Revelation, describes the beginning of our eternity in heaven. So, the beginning is the, excuse me, the ending is the beginning, the beginning of eternity. Okay, so let's go over that again real quick so it'll stick in your minds. The beginning is the ending, the middle is the day, and the ending is the beginning. Keep that in mind as we talk about what the book of Revelation is trying to reveal to us, what this apocalypse, what this revealing is trying to reveal to us. Now, what else is this book trying to reveal to us? Well, let's go back to... Chapter 1, verse 1. Let's read it again. This is a revelation of Jesus Christ. In fact, if you look at the Greek text, it literally just says, Apocalypsis, Jesus Christ. In other words, the revelation, Jesus Christ. So 
we add the English word of, the revelation of Jesus Christ. So the main point of this book, the main point of this book, I say again, is not necessarily the details of the future events. No, the main part of this book is to reveal Jesus Christ to us, his servants, his bond slaves, his believers, in a way we've never seen him before. Now, what is it going to try and reveal about Jesus? Well, let's look into it, okay? Revelation chapter 1, verse 1. This is a revelation from Jesus Christ, which God gave him concerning the events that will happen soon. An angel was sent to God's servant John so that John could share the revelation with God's other servants. John faithfully reported the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ, everything he saw. God blesses the one who reads this prophecy to the church, and he blesses all who listen to it and obey what it says. For the time is near when these things will happen. So that's a little introduction what's going on. It's the revelation of Jesus Christ. Let's go on. Now John gives an, an introduction or a greeting to the people he's sending this book to, this letter to. This letter is from John to the seven churches in the province of Asia. Grace and peace from the one who is, who always was, and who is still to come. Now let's think about that. Who is the one who came to earth, yet we found out he always existed, and he promised to come again. Who is that? Well, Jesus, of course. And you're going to see this phrase a lot in the book of Revelation. The one who is, who always was, and who is still to come. All right, so let's go on. This letter is from John of the seven churches in the province of Asia. Grace and peace from the one who is, who always was, and who is still to come from the sevenfold spirit before his throne. Wait a minute now, what's the sevenfold spirit? Well, I like to think of that as a nickname of the Holy Spirit. Why am I saying that? Because in other places in the Bible, it refers to the Holy Spirit in this manner. In fact, I'm going to read some passages real quick that talks about the sevenfold spirit. And what it's talking about is attributes, seven attributes of the Holy Spirit once he indwells a believer at salvation, these are seven attributes that the Holy Spirit gives you access to, kind of like um, benefits of being a, a Christian. He gives you these seven benefits, okay, that allows you to uh, function in life a little bit better. And it's called the seven spirits of the Holy Spirit, seven attributes of the Holy Spirit that when he indwells you, he imparts to you, and they're just kind of like fringe benefits that will help you get through life a lot easier. Let's look at them. And these are things that every believer has access to. In Ephesians 1, verse 17, okay, Ephesians 1, verse 17, it talks about how we have been given a spirit of wisdom and revelation. A spirit, a spirit of wisdom and revelation. Now let me read that for real quick. Ephesians chapter 1, okay, verse 17. Here we go. Paul's praying and he says, I'm asking God, the glorious Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, to give you spiritual wisdom and understanding. So the spirit of wisdom 
and understanding. But this word understanding, in my translation, really should be translated revelation because it's the same word, apocalypsis. So here we are studying about a book called the Apocalypse, the Apocalypsis, the Revelation, and we're learning that the Holy Spirit gives us seven attributes or seven spirits that allows us to be able to function better. And one of those is the spirit of revelation, the spirit of wisdom, the spirit of revelation or apocalypsis. Again, a way that we can be revealed what God's going to do. Well, let's go on. 2 Timothy 1 verse 7. I'm not going to read it. You probably are familiar with this verse, uh, but uh, I'll just uh, paraphrase it and you can look it up later. 2 Timothy 1 verse 7. God did not give us a spirit of timidity, but one of power, love, and self-discipline. So these are three more attributes of the Holy Spirit imparts to us as believers when we get saved and he indwells us. Power, love, and self-discipline. And we understand how these things work. I mean, we can't love someone until the Holy Spirit's in us and shows us love, gives us the love of God. And also, we know as a Christian that everybody needs to be self-disciplined. Unless you're disciplined enough to wake up every day and read your Bible and pray and do the things the Lord wants you to do, then you're not going to grow effectively as a Christian. Now, power, well, where do we get our power? From the Holy Spirit. We've read many verses about like that when during our studies in the Bible. So, the spirit of wisdom, revelation, power, love, self-discipline. Now, there's another verse in Isaiah 11.2. Isaiah 11.2. Now, I am going to read this one. This is written in a poetic fashion in couplets. Okay, couplets. Uh, if you remember what couplets are from your uh, English classes in high school or junior high, you'll know what I'm talking about. Couplets, little phrases that are kind of coupled together because they give you both sides of the same coin. Just like a quarter has George Washington on one side and the eagle on the other, it's coupled. Well, a couplet is a literary device that connects two things to give you both sides of the same issue. So let's look at 11, uh, Isaiah 11, verse 2. And the Spirit of the Lord, so I'm on Christ, the Spirit of the Lord will rest on him, the Spirit of wisdom and understanding. We've already looked at that, wisdom and revelation. The Spirit of counsel and might. Now, this is a new one, counsel and might. And since it's a couplet, it's talking about one thing. And when I think about might or strength to do something, and yet also someone counseling me to be able to have that might, I think of uh, the Holy Spirit and his ability to be our counselor, our comforter, and to give us courage. So I call this the spirit of courage. Now, you may want to come up with a different word for it as in your personal Bible study, and that's fine. But I sum up this couplet with the phrase, the spirit of courage. Then the next one is this, the spirit of counsel and might and the spirit of knowledge and fear of the Lord. Now, we understand when the Bible uses the phrase, fear of the Lord, it's not talking about being scared of God. No, it's talking about reverence. And as we know God more and more, we develop this fear or this reverence. And that's why I call this the spirit of reverence. So the sevenfold spirit of the Holy Spirit is wisdom, revelation, power, love, self-discipline, courage, and reverence. And these are attributes that once you get saved, the Comforter, the Holy Spirit, imparts to you. 
little fringe benefits that helps you get through life. Let's go on. This letter's from John to the seven churches in the province of Asia. Uh, Grace and peace from the one who is, who always was, and who is still to come from the sevenfold spirit. In other words, the Holy Spirit inspired John to write this. And from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness to these things, the first to rise from the dead and the commander of all the rulers of the world. Well, now here's an attribute of Christ that we're learning that's being revealed through this apocalypse, this apocalypse, this revelation. Jesus Christ is the faithful witness. He is the first to rise from the dead and the commander of all the rulers of the world. The commander. Now that's kind of a military term, isn't it? Hmm. We'll come back to that. All praise to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by shedding his blood for us. He has made us his kingdom of, and his priests who serve before God his Father. Now, right there is what I was talking about a couple of sessions ago. when We talked about how the church needs to get back to discipling each other so that we can minister to a fallen world. See, Jesus has made us a kingdom of priests priests that will go out and minister to this fallen world to share the gospel with the lost so that they might get saved too. So he has made us a kingdom of his priests who serve before God his Father. Give to him, to who? Christ. Give to him everlasting glory. He rules forever and ever. Amen. Verse 7, look, He comes with the clouds of heaven, and everyone will see him, even those who pierced him. And all the nations of the earth will weep because of him. Yes, amen. Now, if you remember, we talked last session about how the return of Jesus is the great hope of Christianity. And John's just expressing that. He's excited about it, especially after getting this vision. Verse 8, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning And the end, says the Lord God, I am the one who is, who always was, and who is still to come, the Almighty One. I am, so there he is, the Alpha and Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. I am the one who is, who always was, and who is still to come. That same phrase. Because we're still waiting for him to come back a second time. Verse 9. I am John, your brother. In Jesus, we are partners in suffering and in the preaching of the word of God and speaking about Jesus. It was the Lord's day, and I was worshiping in the spirit. Suddenly, I heard a loud voice from behind me, a voice that sounded like a trumpet blast. It said, write down what you see and send it to the seven churches, Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. So he's... Jesus shows up, as we see later, and he tells him to start doing this. This is the beginning of his vision. Verse 12, when I turned to see who was speaking to me, I saw seven golden lampstands, and standing in the middle of the lampstands was the Son of Man. He was wearing a long robe with a gold sash across his chest. His head and his hair were white like wool, as white as snow. And his eyes were bright like flames of fire. His feet were as bright as bronze, refined in a furnace. And his voice thundered like mighty ocean waves. He held seven stars in his right hand, and a sharp two-edged sword came from his mouth. And his face was as bright as the sun in all its brilliance. 
When I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. But he laid his right hand on me and said, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one who died. Look, I am alive forever and ever, and I hold the keys of the of death and the grave, or death and Hades, the place of the dead. Write down what you have seen, both the things that are now happening and the things that will happen later. Wow, that's the vision that John saw of Jesus. Now, I think it's interesting when it talks about the double-edged sword, the two-edged sword that's in his mouth. Now, did Jesus really show up with a sword in his mouth? Well, again, this is a vision. And John really saw Jesus with this sword in his mouth. It was the way the vision was portraying something. Now, that sword makes me wonder, why did he have a sword? Well, it kind of brings to mind the phrase that the scripture is sharper than any two-edged sword, which is in Hebrews 4, verse 12. And in Ephesians 6, 17, it says, take up the word of God, which is our sword. You know, talking about the armor. So the sword in scripture many times represents the word of God, scripture, our Bibles. And we know that because we've even used the nickname before when we go places you know, like go to church. Hey, did you get your sword? Did you bring your sword? And so we used to say that phrase a lot. Well, it's interesting though, not just because it's talking about the word, Jesus, the scripture, him speaking the word of God, but it also talks about him being a warrior. Wait a minute, you say, Todd, how can you jump from Jesus having the word of God in his mouth to being a warrior? You're going way too far. Well, Let's look at Revelation 19. Revelation 19, starting in verse 11. Revelation 19, starting in verse 11. And you're going to hear the same description that I just read. It's going to be the same description. But this time, it's talking about Jesus when he's coming down to fight the battle of Armageddon. Revelation 19, starting in verse 11. Then I saw heaven opened and a white horse was standing there and the one sitting on the horse was named Faithful and True for he judges fairly and then goes to war. His eyes were bright like flames of fire and on his head were many crowns. A name was written on him and only he knew what it meant. He was clothed with a robe dipped in blood and his title was the word of God. The armies of heaven dressed in pure white linen followed him on white horses. From his mouth came a sharp sword, and with it he struck down the nations. He ruled them with an iron rod, and he trod the winepress of his fierce wrath of Almighty God. On his robe and thigh were written this title, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Now, God made a point, the Holy Spirit made a point to show John a different side of Jesus. See, we know Jesus as the servant who came and obediently uh, died, you know, on the cross because his father said to. He obeyed God all the way up to the end, died on the cross because he wanted to save us from our sins, to pay for our sins, for the wages of sin is death. And none of us wanted to die and go to hell, so Jesus died on the cross for us. 
and made a way for salvation. If we believe in him, we can be saved and have eternity in heaven instead of hell. So Jesus was a servant. He obeyed God right up to the end, did God's will, the Father's will. But he was coming the first time as a sacrificial lamb. The second time he comes is as the Lion of Judah, a warrior. Now you're saying, well, this is kind of weak evidence, Todd. Well, I don't think so, but just in case you're thinking that, I'm glad you asked. I've got some more verses here I'm going to read, okay? Here's some more verses. And uh, I've, I've read about the one in Revelation. Let's go back to near the beginning of the Bible. Exodus 15, verse 3. The Lord is a warrior. Yes, the Lord is his name. Wow. Calling God a warrior right there. Isaiah 42, verse 13. The Lord will go forth like a warrior. He will arouse his zeal like a man of war. A man of war used to be an old term that we would speak of someone who's a hardened warrior. And this passage in Isaiah is calling Jesus, uh, you know, the calling the Lord a warrior. And that he has actually got zeal like a professional warrior, a hardened warrior, a man of war. He will utter a shout. Yes, he will raise a war cry. He will prevail against his enemies. Write this one down and read this one too. Jeremiah 20, verse 11. But the Lord stands beside me like a great warrior. Before him, they will stumble. They cannot defeat me. They will be shamed and thoroughly humiliated. Their dishonor will never be forgiven. Psalm 18, verse 6 through 16. I love this passage. This describes uh, the Lord as a warrior coming to the aid of David, the psalmist. And he says this, But in my distress I cried out to the Lord. Yes, I prayed to God for help. He heard me from his sanctuary. My cry reached his ears. Then the earth quaked and trembled. The foundations of the mountains shook. They quaked because of his anger. Smoke poured from his nostrils. Fire flames leaped from his mouth. Glowing coals flamed forth from him. He opened the heavens and came down. Dark storm clouds were beneath his feet. Mounted on a mighty angel, he flew, soaring on the wings of the wind. He shrouded himself in darkness, veiling his approach with dense rain clouds. The brilliance of his presence broke through the clouds, raining down hail and burning coals. The Lord thundered from heaven. The Most High gave a mighty shout. He shot his arrows and scattered his enemies, and his lightning flashed, and they were greatly confused. Then at your command, O Lord, at the blast of your breath, the bottom of the sea could be seen, and the foundations of the earth were laid bare. He reached down from heaven and rescued me. He drew me out of deep waters. Wow. David prayed to God, and the Lord came and rescued him. And he came in a hurry. He came like a charging warrior, riding upon an angel, making sure David's enemies were destroyed. He came to the cause of one of his children. And his child needed him. And he came and rescued him. Now, you may not understand what's going on here completely. But one of the key Parts, if not the number one theme, the number one purpose of the book of Revelation, it's not to understand all the details of the future, no. 
is to understand that Jesus is coming again, but he's coming as a warrior. When you are needing help, he will be there for you, spiritually now, but one day he is coming physically for us. We look at our society and we see how it's crumbling and we see the world just uh, literally going to hell, it seems. Well, God is well aware of what's happening. And as we see, he's in control. And we'll see this in the book of Revelation. And one day, the Lord will come back as a warrior to judge the unrighteous. They may shake their fists at God now. They may yell and say, we are God. We don't want anything part of you, Jesus. They may hunt down Christians and put us all in jail and execute us like they've done for 2,000 years. But one day, the warrior, the Lion of Judah, will come and he will rescue his people. And if we're already dead, we'll rise up to meet him in the clouds and we will be with him forever the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the warrior. The Lord is a warrior. What's, who is this Jesus really, I asked in the beginning? Well, Jesus is the warrior. And he will come for you. And you don't need to doubt it. And maybe you're still suffering through depression like a lot of believers are since everything's falling apart and we can't go to church as we like to and fellowship with our brothers and sisters. I have one more passage I want to read about the Lord being a warrior. This is in Zephaniah chapter 3, verse 17. Zephaniah 3, verse 17. The Lord your God is in your midst, a victorious warrior. He will exult over you with joy. He will be quiet in his love. He will rejoice over you with shouts of joy. Times are tough now. And we've gone through tough times before and we'll probably go through tough times again. But one day, your Lord, your God, your King, the warrior, the Lion of Judah will come and rescue all of his believers and take us home to be with him forever. And what will he do? What will this uh, man of war, this king of kings, this great warrior, what will this line of Judah do to us once we're in heaven? He will exult over you with joy. And he will be quiet in his love. And he will rejoice over you with shouts of joy. When he came and rescued David, he shouted out, in anger and wrath towards David's enemies in Psalm 18. But when he sees us, when he comes and gets us, yes, he will judge the unrighteous and he, they will hear his battle cry. But we, once we see him face to face and up in heaven with him, we will hear his shouts of joy because he loves us. That is a day to be looking forward to. And that is the revelation of Jesus Christ. I hope you'll continue to do our study with us every session. We have a lot of exciting things to go into. And just please do me a favor. 
please subscribe to this channel. It really helps us to get these videos out to more people if you will subscribe and hit the thumbs up. And I suggest you hit the notification button too. That way you will always know when we come out with a new video. And please spread the word because the church in America needs to know the revelation of Jesus Christ. And until next time, keep your eyes to the sky and read your Bible. Thank you for listening to Todd Talks Bible, sponsored by Church Discipleship Ministries. For more information, please visit churchdiscipleshipministries.com or check today's show notes for the link. Our teachings are also available on YouTube. Simply search for Todd Talks Bible. I'm Brian Race, encouraging you to subscribe to this podcast so you'll never miss an episode. Also consider sharing this timely teaching with someone you believe needs to hear it. Until next time, may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all.